Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, your host, Brenton Weber. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with the wonderful Matt Roos that started on his podcast, Digital Marketing Masters. We are going to cover some great topics, very much focusing around the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. So without further ado, let's get on to the second conversation with the wonderful Matt. We've already talked about your journey, my journey, um, I think, on the first one. Although, no, because I was on your show, I don't think we did talk about your journey. Um, so why don't, before we, we get into it, and I think we'll probably get straight into extending that conversation we were having about that interesting Netflix documentary, Social, right. The Social Dilemma. But before we do that, why don't you just tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself and your journey and, you know, what brought you to the place you are today in this unprecedented sure. year of 2020? Well, I'll give you the super short version. Um, I worked as a contractor for marketing departments of very large companies for a really long time. Uh, and on the side, I built a web design and advertising business that we bootstrapped. Um, about six years ago, my current business partner and I merged our companies together, which is my current Hook SEO uh, digital marketing company. And then I've also written several books since then, um, Crush SEO, which is a guide to local SEO and marketing for small business. I wrote Start Saying Yes, which is a guide to customer experience. I wrote Flattening the Hamster Wheel, which is how to stop grinding and start making an impact in your business. I've also the host of the Digital Marketing Masters podcast, which we have recorded now 117 episodes. Wow. That that's is pretty impressive. Um, I'm a little bit in awe. It's a it's a Wayne Wayne's World we're not worthy moment. Um, I think that I think that, that really demonstrates the power of this wonderful new um, media of podcasting, and also probably highlights how um, some of the traditional barriers that may have happened in business, you know, like um, uh, national boundaries, right. um, are even less and less now. Like I'm having more and more conversations with wonderful people in, in other countries, which has given me a much um, more varied and, and wider perspective. Um, Absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah, so thank, thanks again for coming on the show. And you and I both are from other countries than where we live. That's right. That, that's true because right, you're, you're today, it's, it's the afternoon, but it's the afternoon in Oregon where you right. are. Yeah, 3 p.m. On, on the day before where you're recording right now. So I'm in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm calling you from the future. How is the future? Um, <laughs> do, you, do you want to know any sports scores? <laughs> I don't think anyone's playing any sports still. Well, New Zealand is. Here, New Zealand, we're very, we're very lucky where we are at the moment. I mean, we're, we're again, I think yesterday was the third day of no community transmission. Okay. Um, it seems like we've got a bit of a we, – we had a second surge – that happened in the middle of August, um, but the, it's still so we've still got a little bit of a lockdown, but it's only based around Auckland. Um, the rest of the country returned to kind of level one, um, but but yeah, so everywhere else outside of Auckland, they're now legally able to have um, gatherings of as many people as they want. Um, so the sport's back on, which uh, everybody's everybody's relieved about. Yeah, well. Not like that here. No, <laughs> I'll just no. leave it at that. Well, you got you, you add to that murder hornets and the awful fires yeah, that are happening right. at the moment. We have wildfires and murder yeah. hornets and uh, and, and apparent uh, uh, a lot of protesting and uh, yeah. there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on here right now. Yeah, uh, but yeah. you know, election year, election year coming up. Are you are you thinking of just popping back to Canada to just? Wait, you know, that week to wait and see what happens because because uh, um, there's some interesting rhetoric that I'm reading this week. Um, yeah, um, I, a, a refusal to move peace, move to change office peacefully. What do you is that is that media spin? Is that media trying to make no, it I think it's or is that an issue? I think they're just talking out their ass, but you know, right. it's good. I so you know, we're digital marketing. Uh, agency, right? And it's mm -hmm. something that I've interviewed a lot of people about and I've talked to a lot of people about and I've studied a lot about on the political side also because, I mean, they use heavily, they're heavily into digital marketing, public relations, obviously. Absolutely. Um, the 
like game plan, the the published game plan of the Trump administration is to uh, have a new villain every single day to vanquish. That's what they mm. call their plan, right? Right. Yeah. So it's every single day they have to have something to put in the news that is going to make is is a victory for their side and a failure for the other side. And that's their plan. Every single day they need to come up with something. That's why there's so much garbage going out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to come up with something new every day, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, honestly, like their digital marketing plan worked better than than the other team's plan, you know, four years ago. So I see that both camps have have really pushed up their digital marketing efforts this year. But uh, it seems a little more of an even digital marketing playing field this year on the political side in the United States. Um, even, not necessarily even based on anything except for the amount of money that they're spending. But, you know, I don't really want to get into the rest of, of what they're doing. But it does bring us nicely onto Social Dilemma, though. Right. And Social Dilemma came out. Now, I haven't watched it yet, but I know you did. Right. Which, which is ironic because I only watched it because of our conversation because you made it sound so interesting. <laughs> well, so everybody's um, been talking about it here. Mm. And, and you know, people have been telling me what they heard on the show and, and, you know, kind of verifying things with me because they know that I'm in the industry. Yeah, yeah. And, you're a valuable fact checker. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, I can't speak entirely to the content of the show since I haven't watched it, but I've read a lot so far already. Um, and I think that that tracking and privacy and, and all of these things is, it's a big issue, but it's, it's also something that people are just not familiar with the technology that they're using. Right. Yeah. They're, they're very open to allowing gaps in their privacy. No one really thinks about it until, they're thinking about it, but it's part of our life now. Right. right. Everything that we do, like we live our lives on those little black boxes. Yeah, I, uh, I heard somebody say, I can't remember who it was. Um, they were saying, "You don't care who goes through your garbage until they use it against you." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. you don't think about it, right? No, and it's that right. out of sight, out of mind kind of thing with your data, right? People didn't even know that tracking data was even a thing, right? You know, years ago. Now everybody knows about it, at least to some extent. But obviously this movie came out and people are like up in arms. And then they go to Facebook to tell everybody how pissed off they are, <laughs> you know? But yeah. like they're using the same medium to spread the message that the, the you know, the medium is, is, is doing for them. So I don't know. What were your thoughts on the movie? Um, well, the political side of things was piqued my interest because it, it, it certainly talked about. I mean, traditional media is in a war with social media. You know, like the big, the biggest threat to the New Zealand Herald, um, the the biggest existential threat to our to our media companies here in New Zealand are definitely overseas social media companies. And um, one of the stats that really grabbed me was you could it's four it's four times more it's four times easier to get a message out there true or false using social media than by using real media which is why all the the real media are out there on social media with their clickbait stories yeah well it depends who you're trying to reach but it, but it, what, it, what it's meant and it, it went back to the elections and I, I like even I think last week on Twitter I saw a and again, I don't know how real this is because what do you believe when you when when you're on social media? But this was an FBI warning to the whole of America to be vigilant for um, false flag social media um, campaigns. And so it's everywhere. It's yeah, everywhere. yeah, yeah. So, so with that happening, I mean, the the worry that there's a breakdown in normal discourse between people of differing um, political um, leanings um, because everybody's in their echo chamber, so it's just getting conflated and amplified. That worries me. Um, it also, it, it, it's probably affected my, I'm, I'm keen to, and if anybody's listening, and I should, I'm sure that we could probably find this out anyway, but has it affected usage on social media? Um, you you allude to a potential paradox. Did more people jump on social media to talk about it because of it than people that actually? I know I've I've felt my own 
dopamine reward system being massaged. Like I've, I've started noticing just in the last week, it, for me it was good to draw my attention to what they're doing so that you can make intentional, oh, yeah, I am feeling a little bit that way. So I'm going to put this down now, and I've, I'm definitely checking my screen time a lot more than I was doing before. Yeah, there's um, there's definitely, you know, a usage uh, correlation, I think, to the more that people discuss topics about it. Um, but I think it's kind of like the, the uh, have you ever heard of the boycott paradox? And I don't know if that's like a, a coin term or not. Maybe I'm the first one to call it that. But it's when somebody goes out and, and promotes a giant boycott of some company, 90 or more percent of the time, the company ends up making more money from the boycott. Is that correct? Because the people who are against the boycott, right, the fans of the company or the people on the other side of the aisle from the, you know, boycotting people, they tend to patronize that business more, right? And that increases the sales and the visibility of the business. So generally, having a boycott against your business makes you more money. So so sticking to media, you know, I, I see and I've heard over the last wee while about, you know, occasionally, um, although sometimes in nice big chunks of news, um, of Fox News being boycotted quite a bit. Certain certain people on Fox right. have been... But I mean, Fox is that, it's not even news, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, for the people who watch it, the people who watch it, it's news. Yeah. But... Fox News was taken to court and straight up said, we are entertainment, we're not news, right? Right. Like, they yeah. just admitted it outright in court and said, look, we don't do it. It's the same thing as, like, you know, the New York Times bestseller list was taken to court and they said, look, this isn't a real list of bestsellers. This is just the books that we want people to read, Yeah. right? Yeah. So, but nobody knows that, mm. right? You know, if you're you know, sitting in your armchair and you are a, you know, uh, a right-leaning person and you want to see people who have the same viewpoint as you, Fox News is is an entertaining way to get your news. Whether or not it's true is, is completely against the point. They don't know that, right? Um, and they don't have laws like they have in other countries because, you know, in the 70s, they took out the law that the news had to be factual. Absolutely. I mean, that, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to go back to... To those halcyon days of factual news, um, yeah. Well, I meant, I meant, I wonder whether the um, that there was that boycott paradox with those guys. Did they see an? I think it in, does. In advertisers who wanted to be seen to be, associated. it solidifies the position that people have when other people are against it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you have someone who they believe something they have an emotionally connected belief about something it could be the news it could be politics it could be family it could be religion whatever that thing is that they have this emotionally connected belief to mm. what happens is when somebody else tries to convince them otherwise that other person brings facts to the table and Studies have shown that the more you try and prove to someone that their emotional belief is wrong, the more they will believe it. So all they're doing is everybody's bringing their own facts to the table, and, and we'll put facts in quotes. Everybody's bringing their facts to the table, and all it is doing is strengthening the belief of the other side. So they're really just hardening the position that of the people they're trying to convince. They're not convincing anyone. They're actually making it worse. And they're both doing it to each other at the same time, you know. So, and that happens with all kinds of things, you know. Um, but social media has this back and forth, right? It's the comment button where you say something and somebody else tries to correct you or use their own, you know, consideration. And then the other person says no. And then they go back and forth and back and forth until ultimately one of them calls the other a Nazi, right? And that's what happens, you know, on every forum on the internet. There's some. There's. I forget what the law is, but it's a certain. It's a certain number of back and forths that will result in that accusation coming out. It's, it's a certain right. number. It's, it's the longer the conversation goes, the chance becomes closer to one that someone will call someone a Nazi. One being that it's a hundred percent certain. 
<laughs> you talk. It's funny. We talk a lot um, at halftime. Orange about. I think it's called Parkinson's Law. I'm going to type it in. See if I was right. I think Parkinson's. I, I hope it's not. I hope it's not because I've used Parkinson's Law. Quite Parkinson's a bit. Law is that work expands to fill the time available for its completion. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So if you give yourself three hours to complete a presentation or three days, Godwin's Law is the Nazi one. The Godwin. What was it? <laughs> Godwin's Law. Godwin's Law. That's right. That's cool. Godwin's Law states that as a discussion on the internet grows longer, the likelihood of a comparison of a person being compared to Hitler or another Nazi reference increases. Right. <laughs> Which is sad, but very it is sad. It is sad, but you see it. You do see it on social media all the time. That's right. Um, I've, I feel better after um, taking more notice and being more intentional following um, following the documentary. Um, I did. I did like the way you just touched on irrationality, though, because irrationality is what drives the majority of our decisions. Certainly, in from. A, you know, for me, I come from a customer experience background, and I'd love to explore your your book a little further as well, because that's where we all of a sudden the, the the conversation exploded for me. Because like, oh my goodness, he probably knows more about customer experience than I do. The guy's written a book on it. Well, my my customer is about, or my book is about small business customer experience specifically, and I'll tell you something. But you know what? I wanted to touch on what you were saying about being intentional. Um, about some of the things you do online. Um, I turned off almost every notification on my phone years ago, right? Um, it just, it's a distraction. And there is um, something that most of your listeners are probably familiar with called the cost of switching, which is when you're doing a task and something like a notification goes off and you have to look at it, then there is a cognitive cost. It takes you time to get back into what you're doing. And when you're getting hundreds of notifications a day, even if it only takes you one minute to get back to what you're doing, you've lost like an hour or two a day of productivity because your phone beeped to tell you that Janet liked a post that you also liked yesterday, which has no business being a notification, right? No one cares about that. So anything that's not vital, I mean, I would turn that off immediately. Every app that you install, when it says, will you allow this to give you notifications? Say no. You know, like, you don't need the notifications. And, uh, you know, another interesting thing. Before you move on from that, there's another link with that. um, And that's decision fatigue. Yeah. Because what you're doing, your, your irrational side that is making the decisions whether or not some pursuit should be pursued, um, whether you should continue doing something, whether you should take notice of that little, whatever that little red flag is doing, well, you're making a decision um, whether or not to interact with it. And the more decisions you make in a day, the worse your decision making becomes as you continue and your emotional self becomes overwhelmed with those those decisions. So, yeah, very, very wise on a number of psychological fronts, that tip, I think. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's a time vampire. I heard, you know, I heard someone, I wish I could remember his name, and I searched and searched, and I couldn't find it. But um, I saw him on a YouTube video, and he was saying, he was talking about how to get your time back in productivity and saying you need to switch off notifications and a few other things about productivity. And he was saying that the 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 box in your pocket will never stop screaming, <laughs> which is yeah. true. It's yeah. always going to have another attention. Because, okay, think about this for a minute. And I don't know if they covered this in the movie or not, but it's not important. The important part is when you look at a company like Google or Facebook or whoever it is, right, that makes an application, the longer somebody is on the application, the more advertising they can sell. So they make their money by having people on it longer. So their engineering teams are designing the application to make sure that you stay on it longer. And when you're not on it, you have a reason to come back. That's their job. Thousands of people smarter than me are out there trying to make sure that you get back on Facebook or you go back to look at a photo on Instagram or that you go to Twitter, right? Well, thousands of engineers. It's worse than that. It's worse than that. The, The fact is there's not humans now designing these things. They've got AI designing the logarithm, the the algorithms 
to work out how to bring you back, to monitor how much time that you're um, using it, what mood you're in, what mood you're likely to um, consume more advertising, that you're more likely. If, if, you're, if you're depressed after a fight with your significant other, then the algorithm can tell because of the amount of the, the way that you're surfing um, activity changes. And so then, and if it doesn't see you, it's like, well, what, what are the, the, this AI evolving algorithm? Um, so we've basically, we've turned AI against ourselves. It's like, okay, well, we were doing this job. We were, we were as humans, we're trying to do what you were just outlining there. Well, we can do it better if we design a, a, an AI or some machine learning to do it even quicker and even better. It's, it's like it's out of our control now in, in some respects. Well, it's out of your and our control because we don't control the algorithm. But if you're the company who wrote it, it's a fantastic piece of equipment, right? Oh, of course. You're, yes. That system brings you tons of money, right? So why would you turn off or not keep building your money printing machine? Well, that's why you need regulation, surely. Right. That's why you need regulation. But here, think about this for a second, okay? Now, you and I, we're both business owners. Like, you know, we like to advertise, right? Our business. So, and here's that story I was going to tell you, and now's actually the perfect time. So I have a client. Uh, they are a lawyer for like a family law attorney uh, company, right? And, you know, so they do things like divorce law and custody battles and all this kind of stuff, right? And what happened was a person uh, started seeing ads for the lawyer before they got served divorce papers because the algorithm had already figured out that they were going to get divorced before they found out. Oh, that's horrible. Right? That should be horrible. Another example, and this is kind of another interesting, it's also a legal one for another company that we did work with. Um, Somebody, they ask people when they come in, well, where did you hear about us? And they said, well, it was really crazy because I saw the ad uh, I, I saw your guy's ad the day before I got arrested for a DUI. And they said, what do you mean the day before? And they said, well, I don't know. Just, you know, I kept seeing these DUI ads, you know, like this week because the algorithm knows that they drive at night, they're late at night, they're leaving from a bar, they're going home, how fast they're going because the phone's in their pocket. They know where the destination is. They know when they're coming back. Oh, wow. So it said, this is a person who is likely to get a DUI. So it started showing them ads for a DUI lawyer, right? Now, is that an overstep of someone's privacy? Absolutely, I would think. But who is controlling that data, the data is anonymized. It's only going to the person who is receiving the advertising. Well, it, it sounds and it would sound fairly useful as well, fairly useful advertising. And now, but the other side of the coin is, do you really want an algorithm tracking so many things that it can determine stuff like well, you finding out that you're going to get divorced before you do, right? Especially if it uh, gets into the hands of certain governments. Right. What would happen if, if it's nefariously used? Yeah. yeah, what would we what would have happened in Eastern Germany under the Stasi if that level of data would have been available? Let's put it that way. The problem is the genie's out of the bottle, right? It is. It is. So the data's already out. <laughs> the data's already been collected. It's already too late to, to to all you can do now is minimize the data that you're sending from this point forward, right? So if you think about it, uh, like there's a company right now. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't want to say their name because I don't remember it exactly. Um, if you have software, you can rent from this company an API, which is a programming interface, that you can send them a piece of data about a person and it will send them back all the data that they've collected about that person, right? For literally fractions of a penny. So if, for example, you have something like a sales system, like a CRM or you know, maybe it's a real estate, you know, tracking system or or whatever that is. And somebody emails you and it knows their first and last name, their email address. You send this to this system and that system has somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think they said they have 800 million records uh, of different people in the world. And it sends you back, well... 
this is their phone number and their ad- address and their you know last known websites that they've traveled to and all the things that it knows about you. And you don't have an option of whether that data is released or not, right? Mm. Well, and we, I think we touched on this. You've probably signed away your rights to that data in your page, pages and pages of user acceptance that we get on every that we that no one ever reads. And even if you didn't, that some company at some point probably went bankrupt and sold their data, right? So. Like this happens with social networks a lot, right? So a social network will come out and say, hey, we're like Facebook, but except we're not going to track all your stuff. And then you put in all your information into it. And then they say, oh, we're not going to track all your stuff. And then they go broke. And then they sell all the data that you've given to them to whatever company purchases them, right? Uh, And maybe that's only email, name, phone number, relevant address, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's also other apps do stuff. Apps that don't think, people don't think about. Um, there's a documentary I was just watching uh, a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, but they had a lady on there who was trying to figure out what data the dating app had on her. Yeah, I saw uh, that. She was, she was Parisian, I think. She was French. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I saw uh, that same, same doc. So she kind of battled it out with them. And one day they were like, okay, we're just going to release your data to you. And it was 800 pages of data just from her swiping left and right, you know, preferences, when she's lonely, you know, all this kind of stuff that the app has, has, has kind of figured out. But that data is, you know, uh, it's so valuable to the company who's using it because that is how their their systems can optimize to, you know, make more money. Um, now, sometimes that data is used to make your life better. Sometimes it's not, right? So where are you going to draw the line, I guess, is 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 what the future is going to be on data. So how, so how do we get our da- data back or data back, as um, Kiwis like to call it, data? Um, how do we get the data back? I prefer data because I'm from the UK originally. So right. That's what we say there. When I was in the UK at the start of the year, I had a lot of people give me a hard time about saying data. It was like that. no one really knew what I was talking about. I had a lot of those kind of uh, language differences moving between Canada and the United States. Everybody would like look at me weird when I said things sometimes. You know, it still comes up from time to time. It's been 20 years and sometimes I'll say something and people just look at me weird. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Um, it's it's a really tough, you know, it would be kind of hypocritical of me to say, hey, everybody should lock down all their own data while, you know, we're doing advertising for companies taking advantage of using that data for advertising, right? But it's not like I have the data, right? Google has a black box of data or Facebook has a black box of data and we can say this is kind of a, an imaginary avatar of the person we're trying to find or someone who is interested in in these types of things or this combination of things. Maybe they're male or female or they're of this certain age range. And then Facebook or Google or whoever it is, they sort out who that is and who it's not and then deliver the message that we're asking them to deliver. We're not getting a bunch of data. Like I can't see that. Oh, well, Looks like Karen needs a divorce lawyer this week, so I'm going to call her up on my phone kind of thing, right? Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's tough. It's tough. It's, um, you know, you look at security companies, you know, like a uh, good person to follow on LinkedIn is Kevin Mitnick, uh, better known as the world's famous, ha- the world's most famous hacker. And he runs a security company now. And... uh you know, you can see how easy it is for people who are nefariously using and stealing data. Uh, it's amazing how easy it is and how bad it can be. And so you really need to be careful with, you know, your electronic devices and, and security around your devices because they have so much of your information on them, especially things like access to stuff that has access to your financial data. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people think that I've, when I've lost my phone, the anxiety that I've had is definitely now 
it's much more about well how much of my information is on that phone like if somebody could get into it and how do i access some of this like even some of the da- the data i don't think anybody else could access but i'm not sure i'd be able to act. like the nightmare of accessing and logging on with everything the the whole customer experience the whole user experience of losing your phone and then having to set yourself up is uh it's just such a an ache yeah you know i talked to someone um recently and they had found out that um their ex, um, who's also, you know, one of the parents of their child, had used the child's tablet to get into their email account and found out the found the emails from their lawyer and then deleted them because they were able to get into the other parent's account right. through the child's electronic tablet device that they use for school or whatever, right? Because they had logged in with their Google account. So they just went to their Gmail and snooped through and found stuff from their lawyer and deleted it. Luckily, they were able to retrieve it. But, I mean, that's how easy it is, right? And so uh, side of a, a, uh, there's, there's, I'm, not, I'm no marriage guidance counselor. That's probably quite a sign of a, of a major <laughs> trust issue anyway. Going that's, that's pretty bad. But, yeah. you know, it's just, it can be worse. You know, um, there's a company that, um, that we work with and, you know, we don't handle, you know, their email or anything like that, but one of their email accounts was compromised, but they didn't know it. And they sent a substantial wire transfer to someone. And then they had in the person who was in their email account had seen that and fired it back and said, hey, I'm sorry, the account number's wrong on this. You need to send it again. Here's the correct account number. And then they wired over $100,000 to the wrong person. And that was just a matter of someone having someone's email password. And basically which, just watching for an opportunity. Right. And they're just sitting there waiting, right? And there's thousands and thousands of people out there doing this kind of stuff, and you need to be really careful. I don't want to scare everybody. I know we're supposed to be talking about customer experience, but losing all your money is a terrible customer experience. Well, it is. And especially when you look at, I mean, for me, for me, everything that I do with my phone at the moment is really to for, for other outcomes, especially as I'm trying to get away from... Um, social media more and more, especially after watching the movie. Um, but like for me, reading the books, I, I don't read books anymore. I listen to books. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, during my downtime, I've always got my headphones on. I'm always listening to something because I'm looking to expand my horizons more and more. So that's the outcome that it's that it's providing me now. If I have a bad experience with my security around trying to listen to, to books online, even if it's it's just with my phone always being hacked, well it's all pop that stops me from being able to do that. I'm gonna to have to find a new way of fulfilling that outcome. So they're all they're all incredibly linked with the ecosystem. It's funny the I mean the, I'm I'm very much a systems thinker. And so I uh, and and we we do a lot of work focusing on how do companies um, understand and utilize the dopamine reward system to provide to to create advocates to create um, people that are going to spread that really love doing business with you and want to talk about um, doing business with you when you've got somebody who is completely hooked on social media well their dopamine system is hijacked in the same way that um, a methamphetamine uses dopamine system. We only have so much dopamine that we can give. And we, we don't care where we get it. We don't care where we get it from. We just want to get overwhelmed by the dopamine so we feel like we're fulfilling our needs and and, and reaching goals and successful goals. But when we, when we don't look at the whole system, when we don't look at the damage that that's doing in other areas of the business, of, of, of life, not even business, but of life, um, then, then I think we miss out on on really understanding it, and, and we live in a world where I think we, we're supposed to just supposed to just be facts and you know straight down the line, and the way that we see things and the way that you should see things. The the grey areas aren't really welcome anymore. So I'm not sure how systems thinking is able to really take hold when everybody's looking at everything in a in a one dimensional way. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of gray area in in stuff anymore, which is weird because almost everything in the world is a gray area, right? One massive system. One massive system. And 
you know, when it comes, especially, I mean, we see this in the marketing world a lot and, um, you know, and this, this does play into that kind of customer service, customer experience side also is that the internet has basically fractured people into millions of tiny marketplaces, right? It used to be you had kind of some early adopters, you had a huge main mass market portion, then you had some kind of people who were late to the game for something. Um, and there was people who had a specific hobby or you know something like that, but there wasn't that many of them. But now you can get so specific on the internet because there's basically infinite, you know, infinite rooms to have a conversation in or infinite shelf space to put books or, or audio books on, right? Uh, you know, you can find a group. Uh, I'll give you an example. I really like role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. I've been into it since I was a kid. There is a group just for miniatures, just for a version of Dungeons and Dragons that came out in the 1970s. And that's the only thing that that group is for. And it has like 1,200 people in it, right? And all they talk about is like painting like pewter miniatures and stuff that were created between like 1974 and 1980. It's so specific, right? And, you know, they, you just, you don't have as much of these mass market groups of, of audiences anymore. Yeah, we, we have to as businesses, um use those insights and use the ability to like I, I think it's far more useful to be looking at um targeting people based on interests and uh, the qualitative stuff of life like i would imagine that there's a massive demographic spread in that group of 1200 um dungeons and dragons that specific group that you've got um and so to to reach them it's it's to, to reach their similarities when it comes to their feelings and their 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 then to, to target them by age or well age is probably quite a good number because it was only a specific period of time but certainly by by um be interested to see the spread of different types of jobs that those people have got the number of kids that people have got um which areas that they live in what what decile schools their kids go to um what yeah, their, what their median income will be every, be all over the board but um that particular group of people there's probably quite a lot of brands that they're very loyal to because those birds of a feather do stick together and if we can understand them on that more meaningful level about the things that you know what it's the genies out of the bottle because social media is so valuable i mean we use it in our business as well from from that very perspective it's like what are these why are these people the way that they are and what makes them tick what what gets them up in the morning um, you know, I think social media is a tool. It's a tool in your tool belt. You know, you can use it for fun if you want to. You don't have to, right? But if you're a business owner, it's, I wouldn't say it's a necessary evil. I mean, lots of people make lots of money and don't use social media for the business at all. But it's there. It's huge. There's a giant opportunity there. But what you need to understand is that um, everybody's, social media experience is different and it's tailored specifically to them. So That's there's not so addictive. <laughs> right. There's not one Facebook, right? There's two billion Facebooks. And every single one is different. If you want to prove it right, it's super easy. Just ask someone you know who trusts you enough to let you look at their Facebook feed or you know their Instagram or whatever it is and just look at it. You know, in a lot of cases the icons and stuff in the app don't even match, right? Like, I know when I look on Facebook, I have an icon for Facebook gaming, which is for live streaming for people who are into video games. And somebody else will have something like Facebook Marketplace instead, right? Or maybe they'll have a Facebook group button. So, like, not only is the content that they're seeing different and the ads that they're seeing are different, but the actual app itself in some cases has different options. Yeah. Well, and... They're, they're excellent deliverers of customer experience. I mean, we, from, a t from, a, from a tool perspective, everybody uses that tool for different reasons. You know, personalization is one of the key attributes of great customer experience these days. It didn't used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago, but now it really is. And as you say, you can't, you can't get more of a, a personalized experience. 
Right. And the, well, you can't at the moment, and I'm sure that the experience will only become more and more personalized as it, as, it, as it develops. A lot of people are finding out kind of the hard way, especially in the United States during election season, that, you know, tailoring, tailoring your own experience um, may not have been the best option for you, right? A lot of people found out a lot of things about people they didn't want to know, right? Or they're, you know, people have different beliefs than, than they have that they're, you know, diametrically opposed. Um, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of summed up in in that meme. And I, th- I don't know if this has gone around everywhere like it did here, but it said, um, you know, I don't know how, who to believe about coronavirus and masks. Should I believe the thousands of scientists who did all the research and the studies and got their degrees? Or should I believe uh, this guy that I know from high school who barely passed science? You know, like it's the idea um, that you can generate your own your own feed, right? The people that you like are the are the ones creating content that you see. The stuff that you look for is the stuff that you get shown more of. But, you know, in some cases, um, you know, are you creating your own little personal happy place or are you kind of creating your own hell, right? You have to be looking for the positive things that are positive that you want to see because the, the system is designed to give you more of that. And, you know, um, people who are happy-go-lucky and not interested in in kind of having an argument um, don't stay on the platforms as long as people who argue with each other. So, I mean, yeah, well, being I'm, in your happy place is not what they're looking to do. Yeah, although although I think those clever three algorithms that they they talked about in in the social media means that you're probably that some of those happy-go-lucky people are spending as much time on social media because they're being fed the stuff that keeps them happy and go lucky in a social media environment. Um, so they won't, they won't be, they won't be being shown the, um, the, the conversations about politics. They'll be being shown far more family. Um, there'll be far more family and friends in their feeds about what they're doing. And I think that the way that the systems do tracking, even, I mean, the last statistic I heard, and this was years ago, was that for every user on Facebook, they have somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter million data points. And that's probably way, way beyond now. I mean, they've had years to update that algorithm to figure out more things, to learn about people. It's probably over a million at this point. And now a data point is not necessarily like, a lot of people are going to be like, there isn't a million things to know about me, right? But a data point could be something like, how long do you look at a photo of, you know, another person in a certain type of situation, right? Um, And that you haven't even clicked on anything at that point. It's just if you're scrolling over and there's a photo of, you know, somebody's vacation photo and and they're in their bathing suits and you dwell on it, they're going to show you more. Or it might be something, you know, more like... um, this person is more likely to purchase things that they see ads for at night or on a weekend. And so they will show you conversion-based advertising more often at those times because you're more likely to buy then. You know, so that, that would be like a data point. And I'd, I mean, I don't want to dig, you know, too far into the ins and outs of, of, of data management for these large systems, but... You know, you've got a new AI, like a deep learning system like GPT-3 that just came out that the system's pre-trained. It knows everything on Wikipedia. It knows everything that's been in every library of Congress, you know, in, in the United States anyway. It, it's, it's listened to every song. It knows all the lyrics to every song that's ever been created. Um, every link on the internet, every web page that has more than, I think it's more than three backlinks, it has read, right? And this is one system. And you can query that system for something and it will give you a result back. Um, and what most people are doing is asking it a question or they're asking it to write an article, right? And one example is somebody asked it, is a hot dog a sandwich? And the system came back and said no. 
and they said why and and this conversation went on a little bit longer but it turns out that the the deep learning algorithm decided that a hot dog is not a sandwich because the part of the bun is connected so if you separated the bread into two pieces that would make it a sandwich okay. <laughs> right. and that's an artificial learning system right and you know another so thing is where than taking on jeopardy right so they made a podcast out of one where they asked it questions. And uh, I can't remember what the topic was, but they asked it questions. And then they put the responses through a speech program, right? And then they broadcast that podcast. And, you know, with it, the responses weren't the thing that made people notice that it was artificial. It was the sound of the voice. So the voice, like the text-to-speech, hasn't quite caught up yet to be perfect. But, you know, when it comes to publishing articles and stuff, they found that it, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 90% of people couldn't tell the difference between an article that GPT-3 wrote versus an article that was written by a journalist. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't help feeling that we're, we're getting closer and closer to some kind of Neil Stevenson diamond age future where um, every interaction is potentially hacked. Um, potentially false, potentially um, artificial, but the but the levels of learning and the the opportunities for productivity are going to be massive as well. So, like the the genie is out of the bottle. The the, op the, the future opportunities. It's where I see what scares me is I, I I love knowing about all sorts of different technology, and when you start thinking about how, how all these technologies could come together in one. Um, one place I can't help being drawn towards um, a Terminator-style Skynet, where uh, um, already you see, you know, if I think about your the GPT three, and I, I, I knew of a computer, but I didn't know the name, but I'd, I'd heard of stories about a computer that could do this. But when you combine it with some of that cool new video technology and scary new video technology, where they're they're putting words and you know, they, they, they showed one, I think, with um, Joe Rogan, where they had hit this computer create something that he would say, then put it into his vernacular and, you know, his computer-generated voice and then put on a computer-generated Joe in a studio. And even he couldn't tell that it wasn't him. <laughs> it's like... And then, and then you bring the, the misinformation, the ease of misinformation. Like if it's four times easier to spread misinformation now than it is to spread real information that across news, news sites that are, are, are supposedly there for fact-checking. And when some of those news sites are even failing at that, because how do you keep up with this constant you're going to have to have a, a counter gbt3 a gbt4 to kind of yeah well they're totally outgunned at this point yeah. to detect yeah. it becomes an arms race right right it's an arms race that's already been lost that the detection equipment can't keep up to the creation side of the equation um at least right now and i mean the software i i would say the average person who does not look into this type of thing has no idea how simple and easy and cheap this, this software is, right? So I have software on my computer right now that if I take this conversation and we download the file into the software and maybe there's a word that you mispronounced or something, I can change it in the text by typing and it will put it into the recording in your voice so that you can't tell, and it'll you will have pronounced the word correctly. Gosh, and that software costs me. somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, af afterwards, um, I'm definitely going to have to get that software off you um, because my producer will definitely need it for me. Sometimes uh, I'll catch myself, you know, going from one thought to the other and rambling in between. So I think that will pay for itself um, <laughs> within the first day. It's called Descript. Descript. Is the name of it. Uh, it's D E and then script. And Descript, the, like it it's, does some amazing things. I mean, it really helps us out with some of the work that we do. Um, you know, we'll, we'll stick an hour-long video file into it, and it'll take all the times we say um or ah out of it, you know, and put the file back together and give it to us, and then we sound smarter. <laughs> but, you know, on the downside, 
you can also change what people are saying. You can change the context of the conversation in their own voice. You have to agree in the terms of service that you're not going to do that, but let's face it, terms of service is not stopping anybody from doing the wrong thing. You know, like you can write on a rock, you know, do not throw this and somebody's still going to throw it. Yeah, no, very true. In fact, they're probably more likely to throw it if you put that on. That's right. (laughs) Why don't they want me to throw this rock? Yeah. Hey, we've talked a lot about the scary side of um, digital media today. And to close off our series, how about one more conversation? And let's talk about the upside. I wouldn't mind exploring um, blockchain as well, because I do think that there are some answers on the horizon about how we can take ownership of our data or data, depending on where you're from. Um, so if you'd agree to that, maybe we can set one up for another week and we can t- t- we can close off this tip trick of a uh, sure. fascinating conversation. Maybe we'll talk about all the wonders that are going to come out with the uh, medical technology that's coming out, that's being put into place with a combination of medical technology, deep learning AI systems, and kind of the uh, delivery worldwide online delivery network that we've generated is going to be the kind of thing that can deliver healthcare to people's houses as quickly as they can, you know, go on Amazon Prime and get that iPhone cable. Definitely. Definitely. No, that sounds that sounds brilliant. So we'll set that up. And um, yeah, without further ado, we better close it. I think we've both got um, recordings to do now as well. Yeah, i got to so, go to my live show. So. Very cool. Well, hey, thanks again, Matt. And I uh, can't wait for round three. Brenton, thanks for having me on. And we'll uh, talk again soon. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking with my guest. Please consider subscribing. Um, so that you don't miss any more of our interesting human-centric conversations. We'd also like to continue extending the discount that we offer our podcast listeners on the HTO Educate platform, and the details, as usual, are in the show notes. Once again, thank you, and I look forward to talking with you next time. Thank you.